there's no magic formula, right? I mean, yeah. there's whether you, a brand has a celebrity attached or not, like there's always s- cycles. There's always you're, a brand's always prone to being hot now and not hot later. Like, how do you become fad proof? Right. And I think a lot of people are asking that of of Prime. Prime's doing 50 million a month. I'm Tom Ward, and over the last couple of years, I've had the chance to sit down with some of the biggest celebrities and influencers in the world. What I've always found most fascinating is the stories of the businesses that they've built behind the scenes. On the show, we're going to talk about the most successful, successful business people in the some world, the celebrities, how to elevate our lives. It's time to level up. In the world. And make sure you subscribe this is the to the Tom YouTube Ward channel show. and follow the Apple and Spotify podcast. It really helps us grow our audience, which allows us to get great guests like today we've got kyle cook the star of the hit bravo show summer house which i'm a big fan of and founder of the lover boy brand and we were talking a little bit before this that um you know i watch all these reality shows my wife and i we watch we can agree in a relationship's important to have shows you can watch together and for us (laughs) she watches basketball which is big for me and i watch like 70% 70% of her reality shows, like I'm on board. And one it of them, Summer House, <laughs> we watch The Housewives, and every single one of them fail. And I scream at the TV when I when I hear the girl write you know, $200,000 check from her savings. They put it all on a candle and hat brand. And I go, no. And they all fail. Yeah. But I mean, unfortunately, you- a lot of those, a lot of those businesses are they're kind of like white label, right? Like they're slapping their name on something and there's, there's no real brand creation. There's no real product development. And so there's no real story to tell as a result, you know? And, and so I think from, from my perspective, what has really helped us separate our, ourselves from, I mean, every other celebrity brand, whether it's an A-list or, or D-list or like myself is, is yeah. I mean, we, we built this thing, you know, blood, sweat and tears and, because it it wasn't a white label situation and because it wasn't an established like well-oiled machine there was some interesting it was like a roller coaster ride that the producers and therefore the audience could kind of come along with us and um that's that lends ourself to to you know creating an authentic brand and i always say authenticity is one thing that the big guys can't buy Right. You can you can spend a lot of a lot of money on sales and marketing and this, this and that innovation, um, but you can't buy authenticity. And I think that that really rings true. And, and within alcohol, it's a category or, or an industry, for that matter, that is full of really old brands that don't necessarily connect to you know today and tomorrow's consumer. Um, and so we're, tr- we're trying to change that. You know, and I think you're right, because so you're on the show and. We feel part of it, you know, because I saw you and Amanda, you know, hunkering down, <laughs> locked up together, working 18 hour days in yeah. a New York apartment and then pandemic hits. And, you know, you got employee drama, distributor drama, you know, you're running out. All of the we're all kind of along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ex- exactly. So you're kind of going, you're, you're seeing the trials, the tribulations, the, 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 the stress I mean, that's what starting a business is like, right? And you, you don't really get to show any of that if you just slap your name on something, right? So um, because we really built this this kind of brand for ourselves and for our friends, you know, if you're tuning in to kind of like unplug from your life or live 
you know, vicariously through, through us in the Hamptons, then you're like, well, what's the next best thing? I can't be partying with Kyle in the Hamptons, but Hey, I can go buy some lover boy. Um, and, and people literally crack one open as they, as they watch along. You know, how important is, especially if you're D to C, how important is having a brand story? I mean, today, I think it's everything, you know, that without a story, there's no authenticity, right? Uh, you know, there's nothing to really tell. There's nothing for people to buy in. I really think today's consumer, A, they want to look at a brand. What are they buying? What's the brand stand for? In alcohol, they they would turn the can around. Oh, where, where are the nutrition facts? Where are the ingredients? We're 100% transparent. We show all that. In most alcohol brands, you don't legally have to. Um, and then it's not just about what's in the can. We want to, people want to buy into like a lifestyle. Like, so we, we try to create a, a true lifestyle brand with merch and, you know, you know, we throw events, we throw parties. It's, it's much more than just an alcohol brand. And, and that story, you know, is, it's told on, on, on summer house. It's little, little glimpses of it on, on winter house. And of course we try to connect some of those dots on social and we could be doing a lot more, quite frankly, like we should have a YouTube series of like the real behind the scenes, not like the condensed down on summer house version. Like here's the real deal. Here's the crazy situation we're in today. <laughs> now. So we'll talk more about your startup career too, because you've got your MBA, which I was impressed with. I didn't know that you went to a great entrepreneurial college, maybe the best one, Babson. Yeah. You've had kind of a startup career. You're always a hustler. Um, so when you get cast on the show, I'm guessing you looked at it differently than the average reality show who gets cast on a show who may go, okay, I'm going to grow my Instagram. I'm going to get that bang energy drink deal on Instagram. I'm right, going to get right. that teeth whitening brand deal. You know, that's kind of where their head's at. Did you look at it like, hey, I got a lot of eyeballs on me every week. Like I could sell something like there's got to be oh, yeah. some kind of business there. Is that I mean, you, you, have, you, you can't come off as, as cheesy you know, as if like, you know, you're, you're always pitching something. Right. So, um, but, but that's exactly how I looked at it. I mean, very few people go get their MBA, you know, and they, they get the graduate degree and then they're like, Oh, I'm going to go get drunk on reality television. But, <laughs> you know, I think most people that are thinking along the lines of starting a business know that one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest, both from a effectiveness and, and from a, from a, capital perspective is the cost to acquire and retain a customer, right? Like you can spend endless amounts of money and the, the biggest line item on your expense list is going to be, you know, sales and marketing. And so early on when the opportunity kind of plopped in, in my lap, I'm thinking right along the lines of like, Hey, this could be a platform. And I'm and I, back in 2015, 2016, I'm not talking like, Oh, I'm going to build a following so I can sell stuff you know, to my Instagram followers, that was not really a thing. Like influencer marketing was still kind of in its early days. I looked at it as a platform like, yo, this is product placement on a TV show. And it's going to be much more than just product placement because we're going to talk about the process of starting the company. Ironically, back then, I thought it was going to be my nutrition app. You know, so when, when the show, you know, um, started looking like it's closer and closer to being an actual thing that we're going to do and it's going to make the air. I'm like, what better audience than Bravo for a nutrition app for people that want to look good and feel good about themselves? Um, but what I didn't factor in in you know, the first two seasons 
was just like, how do you bring an app to life on camera? <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't. I learned the hard way that like, yeah, very few businesses actually can truly benefit from product placement. And, um, and so, yeah, I was always thinking along these lines and it wasn't until, you know, as we were waiting to see if we got a season three, when I was like, you know what, if we get a season three, I'm, I'm going to, I got to give up on trying to make my app happen. You know, like the, what people kept on asking me over and over again was, what are we drinking? What's the rosé? What's this tea? What's this seltzer? And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to double down. I, I paid out of my own pocket for my app. I'm, I, I paid for the first year of development for Loverboy. And I was just like, it's an uphill battle. I need to look at the opportunity that's staring me in the face. And it's it's alcohol on a show about partying in the Hamptons on the weekends. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense, right? People, I mean, you guys are all partying and people are asking you. So it's a logical step. But I look at it and I go, if I'm starting a brand, alcohol is like the last one I want to start. I got distributors I got to deal with. I got different liquor laws in every state. I got tons of competition in the space. Like, yeah. it probably costs a lot of money to get all that stuff rolling, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, beverage and probably most of the CPG brands, I mean, it's, it's recommended that you got to do a friends and family round of about a million or more for it to even have a chance of, I mean, you got to wow. capitalize the business properly and you, you know, you have ingredients, you have manufacturing costs, you have, um, you know, just the, 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 the general overhead. Um, but yeah, alcohol is tricky. Um, to some extent, I tried to look at that as an advantage. Um, a, there's barriers to entry that exist in alcohol that don't exist in the rest of food and beverage. There's this middle tier. You have to legally sell through a wholesaler, uh, like you know, otherwise known as a distributor. And um, I kind of came in at knowing nothing about the industry. And I was like, I'm going to use that to my advantage because I guarantee you this industry operates as it did, you know, coming out of prohibition a hundred years ago. And sure enough, it's, it is archaic. I mean, alcohol is, 20 years behind the rest of food and beverage in terms of, in terms of understanding consumer trends and what consumers want. And again, I looked at, to that as an advantage. You know, if, if AB InBev and Diageo have to go through this huge process to launch a new product, and by the time they launch it, they're not even, not even in a position to start a trend. Now they're following a trend. I'm like, I'm going to be that nimble startup that brings something to market that is exactly what the consumer wants. Um, and, and, and that's what we did. We, 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 we capitalized on the momentum of hard seltzer, but we created a sparkling hard tea that had more flavor, that checked more boxes, and wasn't just like a light beer replacement. We were bringing in consumers from like the wine and spirit category as well. So when you write that first check, well, first of all, how much of your own money did you put into it to get the whole thing started? Yeah. So, I mean, I, back then I had multiple sources of income, uh, a little bit of money from the show in the early days. I was still working at Bird Dogs, the apparel company. Um, I, I had an Airbnb that I rented out. Um, you know, I'm like 30 something with, with roommates. Uh, and I, I rented my old apartment that I, um, that I put on Airbnb. So I, I had multiple ways of trying to like make a living, make it work you know, cover my costs in New York city. So yeah, I, I put almost a hundred K into my nutrition app and I put almost a hundred K into Loverboy. So I was like, this better work. Cause I'm, I'm going, I'm going all in and I'm putting all my money on. Well, in this case it was pink. <laughs> so you take that hundred grand season three is about the launch. So do you go, 
I don't have time to go through all this regulation and all this. I, I can't do that. But with a hundred grand, it sounds like I can work with like a drink scientist to figure yeah, out the ingredients, exactly. the like packaging. That season three, all I wanted to, all I focused on is getting the brand to a point where it's trademarked and we can put packaging on a can. And I wanted to get the liquid to a point where I was like, all right, I'm going to give this, hand this over to my friends in the house on camera and hope to God they like it. You know what I mean? And so we weren't worried about selling it. These were basically like not for resale. They were, they were samples. And I was just praying to God that everything would, would happen in time for me to capture little bits and pieces of that, that initial kind of building the foundation way that that was 2018. And how many, how much product did you make at the time? How many cases does, Oh man, Back then, I think I spent ten thousand bucks on a on a sample run. So of that hundred, only ten thousand went to the to the sample run. Um, you know, I had to How hire. How quick did you guy. guys drink it? Was that? How quick did you guys drink the ten thousand? Oh, I had to like. Sample? I had to like hold it back because not only was it going to be used for the show, but I was going to use it for like meeting with investors and meeting with retailers, and it was going to have to hold me over until I could actually. <laughs> do a, a formal production run. And then, you know, so when, when I was able to like capture those, those moments, season three, like I said, 2018 between essentially September of eight of 18 to July of 19, it took me that long. It took me a full year to figure out the regulations, figure out how to legally bring something to market, figure out how to scale production, you know, and it was so nerve wracking because my goal was to figure out, all of that so I could be selling something by the time season aired, season three aired in um, in early 2019, but I wasn't ready. So people were like, oh, this sounds awesome. Like, you know, we, 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 we had a website where we were capturing email addresses. We had, we started our Instagram and immediately, like we had tw- 20 times the number of followers on Loverboy than I had on my nutrition app, um, you know, right out of the gate. And I was like, all right, we're on to something. But my God, I wish I had something to sell everybody. So we just were like now, heads down. That could be a good or that could be a good or bad thing, right? On one hand, you go, that sucks because I'm getting DMs. People want to yeah. buy this, and now they're pissed off. I kind of right. dangled the carrot. But the other time, yeah, the other it was the definition goes, of leaving money on the table. Yeah, or you go, I'm building up a demand, right? As soon as no. this product comes, I got 20,000 people on an email list that I can just blast, right? Yeah. You already got 100,000 on my Instagram. I can just hit them with. So and, and ironically, did you think like of it that, that way? Yeah, I mean, I think I was not thinking back then along the lines of scarcity because I was just like, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe season three was the last season. Like, this is it. That's, oh, how, I, that's how I was feeling and that's how I was acting. So... Um, ironically, when we finally got it launched in a couple markets, it, it, you know, right before the pandemic, we were immediately creating more scarcity, right? Because like everyone's like, "Oh, I see it launching in Boston and New York and Wisconsin of all places." Kyle, when are you launching? You know, I'm like, "Well, just follow along. Like, we got to launch this thing, basically, you know, market by market, state by state." And we would launch something, and people would be driving up from Chicago to Wisconsin. You know, people were driving to great lengths to get our product. So in 2020 and 2021, we we could not make enough Loverboy. Like we were running on zero inventory. And is this during the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, things just started to take off right as we kind of entered the pandemic. 
And then I had, you know, all sorts of supply chain challenges that made making enough product even more challenging. So it was like the perfect storm, but in the best perfect way. <laughs> now we saw some of that on the show, kind of the pandemic and, but we didn't see anything, you know, on a show like that. You, there's only, there's only so much Kyle time they can show. Right. Exactly. But if, when you look back, cause every business had supply chain issues and staffing issues and all these other things to deal with. Do you think you became better because of that, you know, coming out of that, did it, did it make you learn things that you might not have done had you not had to go through that? No, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, we were a brand that consumers felt like they had a connection to. And in the pandemic, the alcohol industry kind of lost all its traditional forms of marketing and advertising. Like a lot of times you get introduced to a, a new drink at a bar because they're doing like a sampling or they're giving you a yeah. free t-shirt if you, if you order a Heineken. Um, all of that was stripped away. So the wholesalers and retailers were looking for brands that could generate consumer awareness in kind of new age digital, you know, first capacities. And I mean, that's Loverboy in a nutshell. So we not only accelerated when other brands were really struggling to, you know, get in front of the consumer, um, but we, uh, you know, I think that we, we quickly started to realize that, hey, as we expand distribution, what if we launch a wine-based product that could be sold direct? And that's what this is. I mean, that's actually why I'm wearing this ridiculous shirt right now. We just, we just announced our fifth spritz flavor, which you can buy online and online only. It's Lemon Cello. And you will soon have some, Tom. Um, Thank you. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, we launched... Um, you know, these direct-to-consumer products that really helped us um, generate an actual customer base in these markets long before we could get there through wholesale and retail. So explain to me, I don't know liquor laws, but I kind of do, right? So wine-based things you can sell to somebody directly, but yeah, so, other stuff you can't? How does it work? Why can't yeah, not to bore you, but the only exception yes. to the, to the three-tier system, the three-tier system is a prohibition era law where you alcohol suppliers, that's one tier, have to sell to the second tier, which is the wholesale distributor. And then the third tier is the retailer and the retailer then sells it to the consumer. So it's this three tier system that every product I'm has bored. to work for. And then in early 2000s, all the wineries and vineyards in the US lobbied um, DC because they're like, look, for us to be able to compete with all these imports, we need everybody that gets to come to our vineyard and go on a tour and, and go into this, you know, the sampling room. We need them to be able to like still buy our wine once they go home. And most alcohol brands don't have nationwide distribution. They're only distributed locally. And so the, the vineyards were able to campaign for the ability to sell wine direct to consumer in states that would allow it. And to this day, there's only about six states that decided to screw the consumer over and, um, and, and prevent direct-to-consumer wine products. Um, but yeah, that's the closest thing we can get in alcohol to a true DTC product, wine that skips over the wholesale retail um, tiers. So if I'm you, I go, okay, I'm. what do I know? But I'm guessing you make more money if you cut out the middleman, right? So that's one. Yes um, and no, though. I mean, shipping no? liquid is expensive, right? Oh, so, I guess so, yeah. It, is it that has a better business model. for you? 
is it a better business for you overall than going um, through? It's only about twenty five percent of our revenue because at the end of the day, ninety eight percent of alcohol purchases still happen at the point of sale at, at, at retail. So, like, what I'd advise any entrepreneur is like, you do not want your business to rely on changing consumer behavior. So the DTC is a nice plus. It helped during the pandemic. It helped during our expansion. And now it helps when we want to try new products out. We can skip over all three tiers. But most consumers will will and will always probably continue to buy most of their beverages, you know, True. at retail. Um, I mean, over time, I'm sure Amazon will, you know, play a bigger part in Whole Foods by way of Amazon and, you know, so on and so forth. There's all these like drizzlies of the world where – you know, you can order something online, but it still goes through the three tier three tier system. Um, but yeah, I, I view DTC as kind of a icing on the cake within alcohol. And to be honest, one of the biggest advantages of, of direct to consumer, unlike you know selling through wholesales, now we know who our consumer is. We own all that consumer data. Most alcohol brands are still re- you know twice removed from the consumer because of the three tier system. So that. I mean, now you're talking a language that most alcohol suppliers and, and wholesalers and retailers are like, huh? You own the consumer data? I'm like, yeah, I know exactly who my consumer is in your market. You know, we've been selling so to them stop, for three years. Stop on, stop on that real quick, right? So when you're starting a brand, people watching this, maybe they got a t-shirt brand they're starting or maybe they got an app or what really applies to any business, right? But especially a D2C brand. They call it the avatar, right? This is my ideal customer. Yeah. And I've interviewed people where like they've actually named it. Like this is Jenny and Je- Jenny right. is 25 and she's a sassy girl who lives in New York City, whatever. Like, do you have it? Like, did you have an avatar? Did you have somebody in mind? Like, who is your Honestly, customer? You- it was, it, it really always started as a brand that, that was for me, Amanda and our friends and, um, you know, we knew the Bravo audience was a little more affluent, a little more educated. It's still pretty damn diverse, but it leans female, which is kind of obvious. Um, and in alcohol, believe it or not, like most industries, women make the vast majority of purchases, right? Like something like 70% of alcohol purchases are made by women. And, wow. um, you know, Meanwhile, I think most of these products are are marketed towards men, like Dilly Dilly, like like literally every Bud Light commercial of all time, right? And so I saw an opportunity. I'm like, hey, I got to know my audience on the show and my target consumer is, is the cast on the show. So um, okay. let's create a brand that, that kind of resonates among my friends and will hopefully resonate with the audience. And so it's, you know, Loverboy, it's colorful, it's bold, it's cheeky, it's fun. Um, You know, it's like the anti, you know, establishment, you know, when it comes to like big booze. So talking like nuts and bolts. So I, I, I heard you say that you got like a branding agency and you're kicking around name ideas, right? To come up with Loverboy, but like, take us through that part, right? So shit. I got an idea. I know what, it, what I wanted to taste like, but like I need yeah. a name. I need it to look like something. My wife is a graphic designer. That kind of helps. But like, right. how do you well, put all that then, together? And like, yeah, back then, again, I self funded this, right? So I had to do it as scrappy as I could. Amanda was still working a corporate job. Um, so she had a nine to five plus 
was filming, you know, Summer House. And I solicited her help. This is even before we were engaged to, to, to work directly with the branding agency. I mean, I would have liked Amanda just to do it herself, but she's like, Kyle, I don't have the time. <laughs> and if, and if we're trying to like get this into cans for season three, we need some outside help, right? Like I need to be able to guide, you know, some freelancers through the branding process because um, I can't do it alone. I just don't have the time. And so we found an incredible, you know, boutique agency that, that, hadn't worked in alcohol. And I, that to me was a plus because I don't want Loverboy to look like anything else on the shelf. Um, and, uh, you know, we ponied up, um, I, I got them to, to, to work for a fraction of their, of their ask. Um, you know, they were kind of like early investors, if you will, because they were, you know, willing to, to kind of do some, um, like a cash equity split. And, uh, and yeah, it was off to the races once we had the name and like the the initial kind of concept for what the I mean when you think Loverboy, it almost has to be like a cursive, you know, flirty like font. Um you know, and so we knew that was like the direction we're heading. So you were just talking uh, about Logan Paul and KSI, they got their drink. I interviewed, um, I know the Nelk boys. I know they're, you know, John and Sam, the guys who uh, are behind the scenes. I interviewed them. And, you know, I used to cover, I've, I've interviewed every influencer on the planet. And the problem with the kind of those businesses, and I think you could kind of run into it too, and I'm sure you're aware of this, is look at Tom Sandoval. Okay, there's a great example, right? You know, we got investors, we're opening a restaurant. Imagine being Tom's investor right now. <laughs> yeah, you're they're probably not happy with them, right? Because it's that restaurant is them and they're the faces of it. And if they fuck up, it all goes yeah. away, right? I mean, the whole it doesn't live beyond that person because again, they're the they're the whole business. Like so if they go away, right. how do you prevent that from happening? How do you let this thing live beyond Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, there's, there's kind of two things. One, I think the brand, and in this case, the liquid, has to stand on its own. Um, I want people stumbling across Loverboy that have never heard of me, never heard of Summer House, and they drink it because it tastes amazing and they think the branding's cool, it's different. It's like a conversation starter. Like a dude walking around, you know, with a can like this, like basically saying, hey, come talk to me. Um, so... You know, it's one thing to like trick fans into buying something that's gimmicky, you know, or tastes like shit. You know, you have that one opportunity. To, it's either going to be one and done or the pot the potential to build long-term value with that customer. So I knew the product had to be great. I knew the liquid had to be great. But like, yeah, I mean, technically speaking, if you're putting it all out there and you're kind of airing your dirty laundry on a reality show or you're doing, you know, like Logan Paul got practically canceled back in the day for filming you know, this thing where he basically stumbled upon a dead body in the forest, right? And Suicide forest. I think he, I think he got yeah. kicked off YouTube for a hot minute. Yep. I mean, yeah, you always run the risk, right? I like to think that I'm not that kind of guy that would put my foot in my mouth and, and get canceled by, by saying something ridiculously offensive, um, you know, but, you know, people, it doesn't take much for someone to boycott a brand as we've just seen with, with Bud Light. Um, so no, and 
Well, forget, but forget that, right? So say you, you never put your foot in your mouth, right? Things are smooth sailing, right? It's still Kyle and Amanda, right? How do you, how do you get it to be beyond you? Is that the, I mean, it sounds like that's the goal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I want this thing to live beyond us, but like, how do you do that with? Yeah. There's no magic formula, right? I mean, there's whether a brand has a celebrity attached or not, like there's always cycles. There's always, a brand's always prone to being, hot now and not hot later. Like, it, like how do you become fad proof? Right. And I think a lot of people are asking that of, of prime prime's doing 50 million a month, but it's crazy. like it, it's insanely sweet using not the greatest ingredients. It's not like this incredible alternative to Gatorade, right? Like all those brands already have zero sugar options. How much artificial sweeteners should kids be consuming? Cause you better believe there's a lot of it in prime. Um, so, I mean, who knows, who knows, you know, I, I think you just have to build a brand that resonates and, and ideally a community kind of, you know, pops up and, um, takes on a life of its own, right? Like we, we try to foster that, um, you know, so our, our, you know, our best customers kind of become the brand ambassadors and are the ones introducing Loverboy to their friends. It's not just summer house, right? It, it almost has like a, like a, a snowball effect. And that's one great benefit with alcohol, right? Like hopefully you're not drinking by yourself. Hopefully you're drinking with friends and there's no better product that can go quote unquote viral than, than a social lubricant for society, which is kind of how I think of alcohol. <laughs> Would you? I heard you say too, because um, you. I, I read somewhere that you did like five million dollars in merch. Is that correct? Like ballpark? Yeah, over the course of time. Um, yeah, just about five, about five million, which is wild. Right? Most most brands, again, I think about the status quo in the industry that I'm in. In, in alcohol, most brands are giving away merch. Please put on this sure, T-shirt. But take why a photo. Is a T-shirt. I would never pay. Right? For, like they're right? begging. Give them out. We, we, we've created our own little, you know, um, standalone business, if you will. Think about my industry and just how archaic it is. None of these brands are lifestyle brands like White Claw, Truly. I mean, maybe Twisted just because it, they, they started taking their fans' photos and putting it on the can. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think that there's, there's something to be said about, the, the fact that we can sell merch and people want to wear it and, and we sell out. And, and it, I think that's when, you know, you've got a lifestyle brand when you can actually sell merch that people want and gift to their friends and post about in their, you know, the people are rocking the merch while holding the can tagging us on Instagram. I mean, we have, when we, when we launched our variety pack, High Noon launched a, a, a new variety pack of their own. And we had 20 times the engagement than High Noon. And High Noon has the 60 million plus followers behind them thanks to Barstool. You know, we have we have not only 20 times more engagement, we have, we have more followers on, on, on Loverboy than, than High Noon. So I think that's just like a test to, to the brand power. And if you can be selling merch in an industry that has to give away the merch, right? Like... You know, you, I'm sure you've gone into a bar and like there's some woman that's like, you know, slinging samples for some brand and they're like giving away T-shirts. You know, that's the norm in alcohol. Like brands are just giving it away. 
And so what's the key? I guess you have to have, you can't just sell merch unless people are there to buy it, right? So it's community first, right? It sounds like, and all these, every uh, direct-to-consumer brand I've ever talked to, and that's like the hot buzzword now is community, community, community. So what advice do you have for that, you know, young person who's starting a business, whatever it happens to be, and they know they've got to develop some kind of community, Yeah, but, you know, they're just a regular person. They don't have large followings or anything like that. How do you build, is there any, is there any like overarching tips? Like I, I think that, no, it's a great question. So, I mean, yeah, there's so many buzzwords that you're like, all right, you got to be a lifestyle brand. You got to be community first. You know, yeah. you have to find your early adopters. Um, authenticity, originality, you're like, oh my God, all right, I get it. How do I do it? Yeah, you exactly. It's something you're passionate about because you have to understand where that initial consumer is, what that initial community is that you're going to tap or create, right? And so I think a great example is RX Bar. I mean, they started with CrossFit. You know, here's like this pretty insulated community of these diehard, you know, fitness um, focused individuals. And they were all about eating clean, but very few options existed and enter RX bar. And they really focused on, on, you know, the CrossFit community. So I think, and I'm sure like, I'm sure the founder, I don't know his story, but I'm sure that was a community that he at the very least knew of, maybe he was a part of. And uh, I see entrepreneurs just try to jump on a trend and I've done this in previous previous startups. I, I did a you know a, a kind of like an Uber for for beauty app that <laughs> okay sounded like hey this is something consumers want. Everyone wants some services on demand these days. This is back in like 2014, but it wasn't something I was I knew anything about, and it wasn't something I knew I was passionate about. Um, so it's really hard to, to, to like identify a community if, if you're chasing something that isn't really true to yourself and true to your passions and, and, and a problem that you're trying to solve, you know, for yourself. So I think that's for me uh, with, with Loverboy is like, all right, you know, most alcohol products, like 99% of alcohol products are pretty bad for you. And some are really bad for you. And you wouldn't even know because there's no nutrition label. Enter hard seltzer. There's the nutrition facts. There's the ingredients, but man, all they're using is natural flavor. Like what, what would happen if you used higher quality ingredients, but took a seltzer like approach to creating, you know, the equivalent of like a better for you brand within alcohol. And that's exactly what we did. And, and it was really just trying to solve for a problem that I was experiencing and that Amanda was experiencing. Like, Hey, these seltzers are great, but they leave a little bit to be desired from a taste perspective. And it doesn't take much to improve the taste you know, all you got to do is throw in some organic tea, some real juice, um, you know, some monk fruit to naturally sweeten it. And then we were like off to the races. So again, identifying that community and hopefully you are your target consumer. Cause like what better way to understand what the consumer wants than to focus on something that you yourself, you know, could benefit from. For sure. And let's go with, you just hit on something and, so you did your previous startups before you just mentioned, you know, the Uber for beauty and, you know, there's other ones out there, but Loverboy, you just said solved 
a need that you saw like, hey, I want this thing that's not there. Like, right. okay, what if I create that, right? What if I fill that? Do you think that's the reason Loverboys have been successful where maybe your other startup ventures didn't solve that and you yeah. see a lot of startup founders make that mistake? I mean, going way back, I mean, I had several apps that I launched or didn't even get to launch. And it, uh, some of those failures were actually, I would say, partially attributed to the fact that I couldn't pull it off myself. Like I could not code, which meant I was always stuck paying someone to code for me. With with Loverboy, it was an, an, an industry that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to like come in and figure out. And yeah, I can't personally can a beverage, but I could figure out how to like become an expert in this industry over a course of, you know, just a couple of years. So I think being realistic with what your skill sets and experiences and, and knowledge and just, you know, your, your commitment and drive can get you through. Um, but then, you know, to your point, um, it was something that I identified as a need, not a want, but a need. I think the, I think people, deserve high quality beverages that aren't horrible for you in alcohol, just like they are finding alternatives in every other aisle of the grocery store. And um, yeah, too often people just chase something that is buzzy or flashy or trendy and they're going to really struggle because they don't either have the skill sets or know-how or it's not a problem they can even identify with. You know, I want to talk about kind of balancing work and life as a startup founder, right? I remember, you know, I was doing homework and this came up that you called the man the lazy in season four. And I kind of remember the circumstances kind of like, I don't remember like what you needed her to do, but yeah. like at the time she was like working a full-time job, I know. she's helping you out, she's doing all this shit. and like you asked her to do something called her lazy, but I kind of related to where you were coming from at the same time, right? Because if I'm you, I go, I'm fucking working 18 hours a day. This is all I think about 24 seven. So kind of everyone else should be exactly like me. And that's kind of how right. I used to think when I was younger. But then I realized at a certain point that no one's going to care as much about what I'm into as me. And that's okay. So I kind of yeah, and it was a tough adjustment. My perspective changed. Yeah, I mean, Is, look, did you I, run into that too? Oh yeah, I mean, look, one of my biggest regrets is calling her lazy because the internet has not forgotten. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that we don't talk about on the show is the time it takes to film the show, right? So, for most people that are on reality, they're not working a corporate job. Amanda was a very rare outlier. She did that for four years. Um. I expected her to not only come home and film, but come home, film and work on Loverboy and burn the midnight oil, which was not how she was wired. She's like, Kyle, hey, great. You can work 18 hour days. I want to come home, flop on the couch. Um, and, and what little time I have to myself, I want, I want to keep it. Yeah. And, and that's fair. It's fair. And look, if she hadn't been working a, a nine to five, yeah, it would have been a totally different scenario. If we weren't filming a show, it would have been a totally different scenario. But I was very, um, I, I think, selfish in the sense that like, I just expected her to care as much and want to put as much into it as I did. And, and at the end of the day, we're all wired a little differently. But if you, if you hope to found something, if you hope to be an entrepreneur, you have to have some of that fire in your belly. 
And um, you have to be willing to burn the midnight oil because I think far too often, like people advise entrepreneurs, if you're not all in, if you're not 110%, if you haven't already quit your job, don't even talk to me. But it's like a, a founder should not be handicapped because they're so stressed out about paying their monthly bills. So I always encourage people to burn the midnight oil, get your startup to a place where it's ready to launch before you quit your job. If you hope to, to, to start something and if you hope to raise money, you have to be prepared to burn the candle on both ends. You have to be prepared to, to, to work two jobs, you know, one to pay the bills and one to hopefully build your future. So, uh, you know, Amanda never claimed to be the founder type, right? She, 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 she wasn't looking for that. I, I kind of forced it upon her. <laughs> so how does your, how, how's your management style change over the years? Are you less of kind of a tyrant as you were when you started? Are you more, do you realize more that, Hey, people are never going to work the hours that I do. And that's right. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I was able to convince her to, to leave her, her nine to five, her corporate gig where she, she was a graphic designer for like an incredible international brand and and join Loverboy full-time. Um, and so that obviously helped. Um, but then, yeah, I, I, I've had to realize that we are wired differently. I'm going to be putting in longer hours and, um, you know, hopefully she can, you know, help take other things off my plate, like walking the dog and, you know, um, helping figure out what we're eating, you know, as I stroll over from the office at 9 p.m. <laughs> what, um... Do you have any tips on, especially during the pandemic, it's tough. Like you're working together, you're living together. Trying to plan a wedding. Any, oh, oh, dude, that was, that was your best season, man. I, you just left from every dinner table you were at. Oh. You just left like this. Oh, like a ticking time bomb. Literally. <laughs> it was great TV, bro. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect to be such a diva, but I guess I really nailed the, the walk off. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, look. We've kind of accepted that there's never going to be a fine line between, you know, work and, you know, our personal life. It's, it's, it's all kind of melted together and, and the lines have blurred and the pandemic was, I think, you know, that amplified our reality, which was, I'm going to be working seven days a week. Um, we are going to try to figure out the supply chain so we can continue to expand so we can continue to stop leaving money on the table. And, um, and yeah, she's been, she's been, we've both been patient with one another. I think that's just something that, you know, as, as I know very few people think I have matured, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the one thing I have kind of learned along the way is like patience and just kind of accepting that we are completely different individuals and, um, and that she needs a little bit more of a separation between work and play than I do. And I try to give her that, um, but back in season four, no, I, I hassled her for it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're pretty much out of time. But what advice do you have? And I get, I was just talking to my wife's younger cousin. You know, she's like 23, 24. And there's a lot out there. And I was this kid too. You know, stuck at a corporate job they hate. Have that entrepreneurial fire in them, but kind of aren't sure – what to do next, right? They yeah. have an interest. Do I go back to school? Do I, 
what do I do? Like, do you have any advice for them or any direction? Yeah. I mean, I get DMs like this a lot. Like Kyle, like I'm scared. I, you know, I've, I, I want to start something. I've, I've got an idea, but like, I'm too scared to leave my job. You know, what do I do? I, I think not to sound like a broken record, but I think first and foremost, you have to be willing to put the work in. Um, keep the nine to five because you got to find a way to pay the bills, but you got to be able to put the work in and burn that, burn that midnight oil. And, um, for people that are like, Hey, I want to start something, but I have no idea what to start. I'm like, then you just need more life learning lessons. You need more experiences. You you, you can't think you're going to like the next Facebook isn't just going to like land in your lap. (laughs) Um, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but like, I mean, the, the, it wasn't always cool to be an entrepreneur. And most people would just start a business because they figured out a problem that they thought they could fix, right? Um, and I think that for, for, for a lot of people, um, you're not going to see and identify problems that need fixing unless you're out there in the, in, in the working world. And you're looking at B2C problems, B2B problems. You know, is it a service? Is it a product? Is it in the trades? And I just encourage people. I'm like, listen, I'm 40 and I don't know what I don't know. So imagine what little I actually did know when I was in my 20s. Like I've worked in insurance, healthcare, real estate, finance. (laughs) I mean, like you name it. I've, I've worked in a variety of different industries and different roles and, um, and started and I've started to try to, start companies in a variety of, you know, industries. And you're never going to, I think the the, the biggest, like the Elon Musk and the Zuckerbergs of the world kind of mislead the the, the future generation of entrepreneurs because you're not going to get up to the plate and hit a grand slam. I hate to break it to you. Like most businesses fail. And that's, you know, oftentimes among people that have already tried and tried and tried again. And so you have to be willing to have thick skin and learn from your mistakes because failing upwards is a real thing. Failing upwards is one way to land where I landed. Like I, I took many cracks at the bat and um, you, you got to have to have, you have to persevere. And um, if you look at yourself in the mirror and you're, you don't think you're that type, then maybe you, maybe you should keep, you know, try to be like the number two guy in an organization, not the number one. For sure. Well, brother, thank you so much, man. This was this was fun. I think we all learned a lot. What do you what do you promote? You got a new flavor? Where can we check that out at? What else? Yeah. So uh, our business is related. It's our business is kind of divided among three product lines. Our sparkling hard teas, which is kind of like where it all started. You can find those almost nationwide if you go to our website, drinkloverboy.com. We do have uh, spritzes and cocktails that, like I said, ship to 44 states. We just launched the Lemoncello. I think it's probably going to sell out next week, but we will bring it back. We'll do another production run. Um, But yeah, uh, you know, look, I think uh, I know there's a a ton of people trying to cut back on their booze. But one thing that you always should look to do is cut back on your calories and carbs because there's nothing. You don't really benefit from drinking a, a margarita with 40 grams of sugar. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a reason you wake up with a gnarly hangover and it's not always the booze, it's the sugar. So I encourage everyone, if your alcohol product does not have a label, when you turn it around, you are flying blind, my friend. And you should try to find something that, that is a little more transparent. 
Right on. Well, thank you so much, bro. And thank you guys so much for watching. And make sure you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, The Level Up. Each week, I share tips learned from the most successful people in the world about how to elevate your business and your life. Link in description. We'll have links to all Loverboy and all of Kyle's socials in the description as well. Uh, Kyle, stick around for one second. But you got thanks, it. guys. Thank you, Tom.